This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Dear Colgate, I love that you love that I love being at home. You even let me whiten my teeth from home. Because you know how I feel about getting up from my cloud couch. The Colgate Optic White LED Kit gives professional-level results in just 10 minutes a day for 10 days when used as directed. And that's why, Colgate, I want you to meet my parents. Because ever since meeting you, I've been living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Welcome to Never Meet Your Idols, a podcast where your idols get real, whether you like it it or not. Hi. Hi. This is episode three of Never Meet Your Idols. We're your hosts. I'm Laura Mary. And I'm Karay. And today we are going to be talking to Roger O'Donnell from The Cure which is pretty exciting. And before we forget, we want to let everyone know that we're accepting questions for our next couple of guests, who are Lee Kiernan from the band Idols, joining us for episode four on September the 8th. And then we're going to have Nick Valenci from The Strokes joining us for episode five on September 22nd. So you could submit your questions via email or Instagram for them, um, and you could also submit a voice message through Instagram DM. Which nobody is doing. I know. A few people so far, and we really like them, so send them in, please. Please. However, we did get a voice message for Roger, which we will be playing later on in the show. You're a Cure fan, right, Laura? Is this a big deal? It is a big deal. I am a Cure fan. Um, Growing up, my my sister was a huge Cure fan, and she'd be playing it throughout my whole youth, and so... I thought she was super cool and I was like who's this band that she loves and yeah it was them and I yeah so it brings back lots of memories of my childhood growing up and yeah didn't you tell me a story once about how you dressed up as did you dress up as Robert Smith I did Halloween as a kid or something like that (laughs) it wasn't Halloween it was um for this fancy dress maybe it was Halloween but it was for brownies I don't know if anyone in do you have brownies Girl Girl Scouts same thing and I was an avid brownie as a child and because of my sister who loved the cure she um she was like I think we should dress you up as Robert Smith and so I was only about seven or eight and I think there's a photo of me somewhere and I'm just like all goth up because I remember putting all the makeup on and like having the red lips and like the white face and stuff and then as I got older um I actually walked in on Robert Smith in the bathroom this is a true story what yeah and um he was in um we were rehearsing in the same place that the cure in the studio and we'd often they'd be there and and my band um, had a lock in there. We had our own little studio there so we could have keys and stuff. So I don't think they're expecting like anyone in there. And there was one girl's toilet and I went to go in and Robert Smith was in there and he had like all his Max Factor out. And I think they were doing like some kind of TV, not maybe it was like film TV thing or something in the studio. And um, like the crew had come there. So he was putting on his makeup 
putting on his face yeah and I walked in and I was like oh my god (laughs) it's Robert Smith (laughs) and I was like holy shit and um I don't always remember it was all Max Factor makeup and I was like I wonder if he's sponsored by Max Factor that is a question I want to definitely I was around seven or eight when I dressed up as David Bowie for Halloween which also required a lot of makeup (laughs) with this crazy wig like from the labyrinth I don't know it looked totally fucked up and wrong but <laughs> I want to see pictures of you as Robert Smith I just remember there's a photo of me in the garden I think my mom took it and um yeah I look really funny I think no one actually understood who I was obviously all the brownies were like who but the the guides like the older ladies that were there I think they were all like I know who you are that's so cute I definitely want to see a picture as a half Chinese little girl dressed up as David Bowie I don't think anyone knew who I was either (laughs) the labyrinth was one of my obsessions growing up as well so great right that's a great person to go as character well we're not going to talk too much about Robert during Roger's interview no (laughs) Uh, (laughs) story of his life I'm sure but I am excited to talk to him he's a really good friend of mine I've known him for I don't know maybe almost 10 years now. And I'm not a fan of The Cure, which he knows. I'm pretty open about that. But of course, I have a tremendous amount of respect for them. I think it's one of those situations where I may not be a fan of theirs, but I still can appreciate how great they are as musicians and songwriters. It's just not my cup of tea. (laughs) But Roger is one of my favorite people in the world. And I can't wait to talk to him. So let's get this circus started. Let's get to it. Here's your idol, Roger O'Donnell. Turn on your video, old man. Moron. Oh, you can't see me? No. Now who's the moron? Wait. I've got a, I've got a weird light effect. Hold on. It's good. It's very sculpting. I don't need help. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? I'm all right. What are you drinking? Are you getting drunk during this? It's Aperol Spritz. Oh, that's my mm. drink. What? I introduced you to it. You introduced <laughs> me to it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good job. You get the credit. All right. Anyway, let's get to this interview let's get down to business um let's go laura do you want to start off by asking roger the first question okay so have you ever met your idol and if so what were they like well i've got a few idols but um in different kind of walks of life but musically i guess um herbie hancock i met him the first time i met him was in like 1983 in New York, and he was super nice. And I've met him a few times over the years. Every time I meet him, I say to him, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be playing keyboards. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. And he's just super nice. He's like a big, huge kind of uncle figure, and he hugs you and laughs. So that's pretty cool. Uh, Everyone else is dead. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, the last time I saw you, you were playing a Herbie Hancock song on the piano. Was I? You were. Where was I doing that? And where were you? 
we were having dinner in Hollywood at your friend's house with those two cats, Pee-Pee and Poopy. Oh, in LA. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, the song's Maiden Voyage. And this is a really nice D minor nine kind of chord. But it was a long time ago. Yeah, I think it was um, at least a year ago. I, I mean, I can't even remember, but I think it was at least a year ago. Um, anyway, are you in Devon now? Yeah. And you've been there all year or for the whole lockdown? Uh, yeah, we. I spent four days in London about two weeks ago, and that was really weird. Because where I live is like in the middle of nowhere. It's very rural and not, you know, you don't see anyone. And then we went to London. And so the kind of, you know, that's normal life. So it didn't really make any difference to the, with the lockdown. But then I went to London and it's like post-apocalyptic. Yeah. It's just deserted. I know. Especially kind of the more business areas. And it, that was weird. That was the weirdest experience so far of this uh, whole shit. Even now, I went, I went in like two days ago and into central London and it's still pretty quiet and like plate like I don't know even like in the back streets of like right in central normally it's so busy and it was like wow it was, I've never seen it like that I've never never ever seen it like that I went to Shoreditch House and it was like it was like private club should be <laughs> being completely full of absolute douchebags morons that it normally is I think the ideal time to go to a place like that is during a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I don't know if it's ever going to change, is it? And actually, the problem is that I don't know anybody that has had it. I mean, I know it. It's. I'm not saying it's. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. But I don't know anybody that's have, had it, and I don't know anybody that knows anybody that's had it. So it's kind yeah, of a bit same. once removed, twice removed. I know a couple people who got it and recovered fast. But Roger, you're right. I don't know if things are going to go back to normal or go back to how they were. And I'm pretty sure they probably shouldn't. Yeah. But um, funnily enough, before lockdown, I was supposed to go to England to visit Roger and his girlfriend Mimi and to record. Yeah, I remember. But we decided it was too big of a risk because of my lung disease, and we didn't know what was going on at the time, but if I had gone, I would have gotten stuck there, and I would still be there now. You would have been locked down with me, Raj. Uh, that would have been fun. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I haven't got any cats here. You would have gone crazy. I would have found them. I would have sourced them. I would have flown them <laughs> in. Yeah. Actually, I was going to ask you guys, how did you meet? How did you first meet? Like, uh, a long time ago. Uh, I think it was... A friend on Twitter. Yeah, it was uh, Matthew Heath. And who was that big guy? Dave. Dave. He's really cool. Yeah, I love those guys. I actually met them on Twitter. They um, are two huge supporters of my band, and they turned Roger onto my music. So that's how Roger and I found out about each other. And then I talked all that shit about The Cure on Facebook and um, <laughs> and then Roger showed up at a show and was like you've been talking shit about my band like yes I don't think I was in the band then I think that was during the period when I was not in the band when would it have been that was 20 
13. Oh, okay. I was back in the past. Well, I was confused by that because Laura was looking at your Wikipedia and it said you'd quit the cure at one point. I didn't even know about this. Whoa. Quit in 1990 and rejoined in 95. And then I was fired in 2005. <laughs> and rejoined <gasps> in 2011. You were fired? You get fired a lot. I fired you. What do you mean? You'll get... <laughs> Amazing. You did not fire me. I took you as far as you were able to go. <laughs> <laughs> Roger managed me and I fired him. Uh, I guess that's what people with, do with Roger. The problem would be me being a manager is I get too emotionally involved and when things don't go right, I get more upset than the artist. True, true. You are a star. I saw that the moment I met you. And it really frustrates me. Thank you for saying that. Don't make me cry right now, but I appreciate that. It means a lot to me. Oh, that's true. I, I've always thought that about you, and it's just so frustrating. That, I mean, I've been in the music business since 1977. So what's that, like 43 years? And, I mean... It's, uh, there was a period where it kind of all stayed the same, where, like, what you did to make a band happen, and and then it all turned on its head. And then now it all turns on its head, like, every six months. So that whole, like, store of knowledge that I built up over all those years of listening in, you know, going to me and doing all the business stuff, it's just worthless. You know, I just don't know what it what it takes anymore. So... Yeah, Laura and I talk about this a lot. We don't understand how any of it works anymore, or I'm not sure we ever did, but it seems like the industry just takes less and less risks because it's harder and harder for them to make money these days. But they never did take risks. When when people talk about the good old days, they never took risks back then. I mean, you know, um, it was... I don't necessarily think it's got any harder. Really? I mean, back in the day, wasn't it a risk for a major label to sign a band like Nirvana and put a bunch of money behind them? Or Virgin sank a million dollars into royal trucks in the 90s. And let's face it, and, and don't get me wrong, that's one of my favorite bands, but there's no way a label right now would do that. Well, back then, there weren't many record labels and there weren't as many bands. Well, I don't think. I mean, everybody's in this. <laughs> no, and I think that's good. I think the democratization of the music business has been an amazing thing. It just means, though, it's not not huge amounts of money to be made anymore, unless you're a you know a heritage or an, a really well-established band, and and then it's like. Um, you know, the big bands take all of the money. There's nothing really left for, you know, when you see a festival bill and you see a headliner, they'll be getting paid 90% of the money and the rest of the bands will be getting 10% and share between. Yeah, and the headliner is always the same. I mean, in terms of like the he- the bands that have been big and are headlining festivals yeah. have been big for like 20 years. I mean, I'm sure you know well, this. Well, you know, if you think about if you think about when the, the last time a headliner appeared, like 
a band that can sell a festival. So it was probably, I mean, talking in the rock uh, world, it was probably Muse, and they've been around nearly 20 years. So, you know, what's, what's if you talk to promoters, I mean, I, I talk to promoters, and when we stop, when Depeche Mode stop, when Nine Inch Nails stop, um, you know, what the fuck are they going to do? Because there's no headliners. Like. DJs. Royal Blood. <laughs> Did you say Royal Blood? I fucking hate that. <laughs> That's the band with just the bass player, isn't it? Yeah. Like lead bass. That's the band. What was what have I said? No, nothing. It's, it's just funny because like no, 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 no. You said something right. Yeah. Because a lot of people just won't tell the truth about this stuff. Yeah. Like you do. But do you think you're that fearless because you are in a legacy band and you're not at risk of losing anything? Well, I mean, you know, back thirty years ago, we did what we said whatever we wanted anyway. I mean, it's, wait, what, what's going to happen to me? You could get cancelled. Oh, good. Everything's cancelled. I remember I did a remix. Uh, there was this kind of group of musos put together. And um, the only reason I got involved was because I really loved the guitarist, who's uh, this complete crazy guy. He played with Frank Zappa. And we did a cover. No, we did a remix of a David Lynch song with that girl singer. The only reason I did it was because I, I loved the guitarist and I just wanted to play with him. And then they made me do an interview and I said, look, I'm just going to talk shit about it. And they're like, ah, don't worry about that. They won't print it. I mean, nobody will hear it. Just say whatever you want. And I'm like, that's what I said, what I thought about this song. And... Uh, I said, oh, the lyrics are fucking diabolical. <laughs> and the singer, I mean, she's only obviously in the band because, you know, whatever. I'm not going to go through this again. <laughs> and they're like, oh, David Lynch has found out and you'll never work in this town again. I'm like, I've never fucking worked in that town anyway. What, I'm not an actor. What difference does it make to me? You know. But look, if I don't like a band, right, and I think they're absolute shit, why would I say anything other than that? Because people are phony. They, you know, nobody wants to burn bridges. Everyone? A lot of people, especially these days. Everybody's really scared of saying what they mean because everybody's so easily offended. Yeah, they really are. Yeah, well, people are... Okay, I better not tell this story. <laughs> tell the story. I made an album recently with uh, this singer sang on it, and she's cool. But she's millennial, and I just, you know, it's a real struggle for me to keep my mouth shut. Me and my girlfriend is very outspoken, and we sh- obviously we live together. We share similar uh, things, and Jen got upset about something that Mimi posted on Instagram, and I'm like, what the fly? Fuck. I mean, you can't say anything anymore, can you? No. But that's honestly what one of the things, one of the many things I appreciate and love about you and Mimi is that if I see an Instagram post from you that I think is ridiculous, I could say it and we can kind of spar in a very joking way back and forth without like 
getting our feelings hurt and crying about it? Yeah. Or do you cry about it? <laughs> Are you crying about it? Yeah, but I only ever post, I post things on Instagram. I post pictures of helicopters, Ferraris, and... And your beautiful girlfriend. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, but then you get annoyed by girls posting pictures of themselves because you're like, oh, so self-absorbed. After helicopters and your hot girlfriend. Oh, no, that's stupid. Challenge thing. Come on. Oh, I managed to put up a really hot picture of me in black and white. That's not a challenge, is it? It's not a challenge. The challenge was to send it out to all your four, 50, 50 friends. friends. You, you haven't got more than four <laughs> That's friends. why it was such a challenge for me. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know I don't care about any of that shit, and I agree with you on the social media um, causes for the most part, but that one was, I mean, it's just women trying to feel good about themselves and empower their friends. So I had to give you a little bit of a hard time for, um, that one. But anyway, let's get to some of the questions submitted by your fans. Oh yeah. I printed them out. I prefer to call them friends. Supporters. Yeah. Yeah. Not all of them were friendly, by the way. <laughs> uh, some of them are real fucking assholes. Like, when I posted that thing, I said, if you, if you ask me a question about the upcoming Cure album, you will be vaporized, right? Obviously a joke, because there isn't a vaporizing gun that I know of. <laughs> if there was, I would definitely have one. But people seriously got upset. They're like... Oh, you've made a lot of money out of Cure fans. I'm like, what? How do you fucking know where I've made my money from? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, for your sake, we picked through all of them and left the mean ones out. So um, only nice ones for Roger. Laura, do you want to start it out? So the first one is from Neely Hankin. And he said, I love your work as a classical musician. Will you continue to create classical music will there be another suit um, or ballet uh, first of all I don't consider it classical music it's contemporary orchestral oh boy so will there be another contemporary orchestral record <laughs> you know after each album I'm like ah fuck I'm done with this I'm not doing that again I can't be I can't do it you know, the kind of fighting with the record label and getting details right and, like, the test pressing comes and it sounds like shit and you send it back and they go, oh, sounds fine to us. I'm like, it sounds like shit. And then they send you a, a, a cover and it's got a serrated edge. And I'm like, <laughs> this is like a fucking cornflakes package. This is not good enough. We, You know, we've got to do it again. And after all those kind of battles... And then you sell, well, it's not about selling records. It's about, a, and, you know, and, and actually after all that said, said, is said, you know, one, but that's such a cliche, isn't it? When you say, all I want to do is just reach one person. If I can just touch one person, that's nonsense as well. Total nonsense. So, you know. Don't bullshit us. I'm not bullshit. It's nice to get your, to have your music listened to. So whether I'll do another um, piece using acoustic instruments, 
I do really love working with string quartets and cellos. I love the cello. And whether I do another album, I probably will. Yeah. Okay. Long answer. Next question. Yeah. Next question. And he's also asked, how hard was it a switch from composing the rock and pop music to classical music? Contemporary orchestral. Get it right. Uh, considering the fact that you're actually self-taught, which is, makes it even more astonishing, was it really a switch? Are you self-taught, Roger? Yeah. Me too. Me How too. come I'm not as good as you? <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, what was, that, what was the question? Um, <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? He said, how hard was it a switch? Oh, a switch. It's more of a progression, I think. It's a progression rather than a switch. Because I've always been involved in um, orchestrating as a keyboard player. You know, I, I always have to play the string parts. So, and also it came from, well, I made some albums using a monophonic synth synthesizer and you build things up one note at a time, which is the same way you orchestrate. Um, so yeah, it's quite uncomfortable either, in either area. What's your favorite synthesizer or that you use the most? Uh, Moog Voyager. Or as you might say in America, Moog Voyager. It's, um, it's kind of, it just feels like it's my voice. It's like just, you know, I, everything falls under my hands and I know how to change, make it sound exactly as I want. So, yeah, I love that instrument. Um, <clears throat> there's one more. Um, it's from David Lannan, and he said, um, with Brexit, the Tories, the mess this country is in, um, have you considered emigrating, and if so, where to? Uh, well, I'm thinking about buying a house in Italy, but unfortunately it looks like they're going into a second wave of virus. So. Oh, no. Uh, my friend Gina is looking for another house for me as well, so... I could, I, I've lived away from England and it's weird living away from your, from your culture as much as I dislike so much about the English culture. Uh, but there's still so much of it that I love. So, Like what? Like what? Like what do you love about the English culture? It's indefinable, isn't it? It's just what you grew up with, what you know and what feels comfortable to you. I always used to think that traveling was like a double-edged sword because it made you realize what was missing in your own country and made you want to go and live somewhere else, but you could never live away from your home country because you missed it so much. I mean, I've spent, I spent five, eight years in Canada, a uh, couple of years in LA, um, but I still miss England. I don't know why anymore. Brexit is probably the the worst, the most awful, self-inflicted wound that any country has inflicted on themselves. Yeah. <laughs> Please allow myself to introduce myself. <laughs> so, yeah, it's stupid. And it's driven by complete fucking morons. Yep, as an American, I know all about morons. Um, let's get to another question, or the last question. It's a voice memo. Oh, yeah. 
So do you want to play that for him? Why are you going to play it? Why can't I just read it out? Because she left it as a voice message. You know? She wants her voice to be on it. Well, and you couldn't transcribe it. You couldn't transcribe from voice to voice. Fuck off. <laughs> hey, when are you going to come and visit? I may go to Italy then. <laughs> Good. I'll stay at your house with Mimi. Even better. <laughs> I told you I'm coming, what, the second week of September, you said? Oh, yeah, I forgot. Yeah. Okay, schedule it in. <laughs> Play the question. We're... Come on, Laura. <laughs> ah. Yeah, Laura. <laughs> This is Gina from Albuquerque, New Mexico, and this is for Roger O'Donnell. I have two questions. The first is, have you watched the Tim Pope documentary that is slated to come out about the cure? And my second question is, can you speak on the accuracy of Lowell Tolhurst's memoirs regarding his time in the cure since he joined in 87 and, of course, the falling out? Um, I'm just curious how accurate his memory is to that space and your thoughts on it if you even read it. Thank you so much. I have no idea what she's talking about. No. That is a mind, isn't it? That's a mind. <laughs> Don't get yourself fired again. <laughs> this would not get me fired. <laughs> uh, um, I think it's probably best left to leave this where it is. Um, but can you explain the question so we at least know what she's talking about? Okay, so Lowell was a founder member of the group. Rob decided to have him in the band for whatever reason. Okay, and he got fired? Lowell was fired from the band in January 1990, which is 30 fucking years ago. We've done a lot since then, like three quarters of the cure's life has existed since then. He wrote a book, uh, but I haven't read the book. But, um, yeah, good luck to him. What about the documentary? There won't be a documentary. There won't be a film made of it. Okay. Um, is that it? Uh, you know, I've got... Good memories of Lowell. We had a laugh together. Uh, oh, this is, yeah, whatever. I write a book. It's fine. Maybe I'll write one. Ooh, <laughs> is that a threat? Oh, I would never do that. I would never. It's sacred, isn't it? The trust between people in a band. It's like. I don't you know. know. I've had some pretty shitty bandmates. Yeah. I know. I told you. <laughs> There's two I can think of. <laughs> There's two I can think of, too. But, uh, yeah, you've definitely seen me make um, some of the biggest mistakes of my life. <laughs> and you've remained a very loyal, great friend and have only said, I told you so, a couple times. I never said that to you. Did I? About one. About one. You sure did. Well, come on, he's... Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, um... I'm going to say I'm sure he's a nice guy, really, but he isn't. No. So. no he's That's not, not long. Not. 
We've gone, we're over that. We've stopped talking about it yeah, We moved on to uh, the assholes in my life. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, it's time for Rants and Raves. Rants and Raves! Okay, Roger, I know this is going to be hard for you, but tell us what you're super into right now, and then tell us what you're super not I'm into. Not, it's, no, I'm not super into it. Not into anything. <laughs> <laughs> like what? Uh, anything. No. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, at the start of lockdown, we started watching all of Hitchcock's films. That was really cool. I really enjoyed that. There's one called The Rope. I love The Rope. Watch. I haven't seen that. It's really good. It's at a, it's like a dinner party, right? And then there's this great shot where he opens the drawer and the ropes in it, right? Yeah. I haven't seen this since I was a teenager, but the rope. So that that was that's been your favorite one thus far. That's that's really that really kind of stuck in my memory. Uh, I've been doing a lot of gardening. What are you uh, growing? Um, grass. Good. I really like growing. Not, not marijuana, you moron. I'm not a <laughs> Gra- Green grass. I love growing grass and I love cutting it. So that's been a highlight. <laughs> okay. Uh, I've been doing a lot of flying. And uh, what has been pissing me off? Well, just the obvious things, you know. Trump, Brexit, Boris Johnson. Uh, what music have I been listening to lately? Nothing really. I really listen to music. No, fucking music. I hate it. You sound like me. <laughs> <laughs> I did do a remix for my friend Mike. Uh, uh, that was good. It was good to get back into in the studio. What's the project? What's his project? Where can people find it? Uh, it's called Beauty and Chaos, I think. He's, um, it's Michael Chiravala, who is the head of Schecter Guitars. Anyway, that was fun. Is that out now? No, I don't know when he's going to come out. <laughs> okay. Very helpful and informative. <laughs> do you like doing remixes and stuff like that for other people? Is that something that people ask you to do a lot? Is your process kind of the same as when you work on your own stuff? It, I think it really upsets people when they say, oh, you do a remix on me. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, right, we'll send you the stems. I'm like, I only need the vocal. And they're like, yeah, you will. What about everything else? I'm like, no, nah, I don't need <laughs> <laughs> and, then I, and then I pitched, changed her voice. Like, so I you, changed. You just rewrote the song. <laughs> song. I'm like kind of lazy. Like, you just get one idea. So I just had this arpeggio guy. I'm like, uh, and he's like, he sent me the chord, the chord changes. I'm like, I don't need that. He's like, what? I'm like, I don't need the chord changes. He's like, I'm just going to keep one chord all the way through. <laughs> Better than the original. Like, fuck. Obviously. Of course. Goes without saying. Obviously. Yeah. Didn't I ever remix one of your songs? I wouldn't let you touch one of my songs. Oh, <laughs> <precious>. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I mean, I'm going to be there in a couple of weeks to record an entire record with you. Oh, yeah. My uh, hip-hop record. Uh, yeah. I'm serious. Yeah, that'll be cool. It'll be cool. 
All right, we done? Yeah, we're done, finally. Because I'm, I'm really so bored cool. of you. Jinx. All right. Bye, Raj. Bye. Nice to meet you. Thanks so much. Bye, Laura. It's nice to meet you. Okay, do you know how to hang up or do we need to hang up on you? I'm just going to hang up. Okay, we're going to hang up on you. You did it before me. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Never Meet Your Idols. Join us next time when we welcome Lee Kiernan from Idols. To submit questions for us or our guests, email us at nevermeetyouridols at gmail.com. Or send us a message or voice memo on Instagram at nevermeetyouridolspodcast. Until next time, I'm Kare. And I'm Laura Mary. See you, you next Tuesday. Tuesday.